Hola, hola, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Sassoni Corazon. I am here with another guest today, a fellow content creator and talking about all the things in life that we need to know that no one taught us. <laughs> Karina, can you please introduce yourself? Yes. Hola, amigos. My name is Karina F. Daves. I'm a life coach, speaker, and podcaster of One Day at a Time, and I help women overcome their number one relationship issue. That's what I love to do. Mm. How did you get to that topic? Oh, man. Well, I started my <laughs> I was a social worker for um about 10 years in higher ed and mm. I was teaching as an adjunct uh women's global leadership for 5 years and so mentorship and like guidance was always in my back pocket especially being a social worker and then when I transitioned, actually before I transitioned into tech, um, obviously we all got hit with COVID. And before COVID, I was already beginning to launch a podcast and a blog because I really wanted to help women figure out how to find harmony in their lives with having a nine to five and having kids and still pursuing their passions. And so my whole thing was like, put yourself first. And through that, I realized that people's biggest conflicts of putting themselves first was their relationships, whether it was the relationships with their parents, their romantic mm. relationships, their kids, or even themselves. And I was like, okay, I'm going to help you overcome that. And that's, yeah. we're three years in. Oh, I love that. I <laughs> would argue that another layer to that of taking care of yourselves and your relationship is your mental health, Yes, <laughs> which is why I think you and I really connected super quickly. Like, oh, we got to have this conversation <laughs> because there's so much to dig into here. Mm -hmm. uh, but before we get to everyone else that we help with, I want to talk about you specifically. Tell me a little mm -hmm. bit about your mental health journey, where you are, where you've, you know, where you've been and, and that journey, what that looks like for you. Yeah. So I have always been what I call like a checklist human where I was just checking things off a list. I migrated to this country in the nineties from Peru. And if you haven't had ceviche, Peruvian ceviche up to this point in your life and you're listening, you need to go get some and ask for it to be extra spicy. And <laughs> my parents definitely pushed me to go to school and get a job. And that was really the American dream. Go to school, get a degree, get a job, marry a sexy guy or marry a nice guy that could technically support you. <laughs> Not you a know, sexy one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Buy a home and, you know, have some kids. And that was a trajectory that I think was for me. And that's what I was obsessed with. And through that really birthed like my need for control, my need for perfectionism. And I would say in many stages, including college, I was in and out of losing myself, you know? And so once I got out of the college world and into the workforce, I met my husband. Well, I had met my husband before that, but we started dating. We got married four months later and we've been together for 11 years. And, you know, marriage is like putting a mirror up to your face. And say that again. <laughs> <laughs> my marriage is my mirror. And I quickly realized that we were not in a microwave marriage. And so our results were not going to yield super quickly. And for somebody who was a perfectionist and a controller at the time, that's very difficult to not get immediate results. And so what I had not done was the work of really looking at the relationships around me, my friendships, my toxic friendships, my toxic bosses, you know, I mean, we're going to talk about this, but I had to really safeguard my mental health and um, really work on my emotional intelligence at work in order to save myself from my toxic boss or else I would have just gone crazy. And through that, 
I ended up getting really sick with a persistent infection in my body um, that lasted for about two years. I had five surgeries. I broke my foot. I lost 80% of my hearing. Three cars, three of our cars were totaled. My son almost died during a very routine ear surgery. And my husband got Lyme's disease all in two years back to back. And if that doesn't cause you to take a step back and look at your life, I don't know what does. And so that for me was the opportunity where God was like, you got to go in the cave. And I went into a two-year cave season where I got off social media. And but when I got off social media, social media wasn't as big as it was now. Like it didn't suck my soul. It was more of like, I'm just going to remain private for this couple of seasons. And th during that season, I healed. I realized what I wanted for my life and what I didn't. But much of that time really was rebranding myself um, and rebranding my heart posture. Ooh, heart posture. <laughs> oh, that one hit me. Um, and and there's so, oh, there's so much I want to say, but I'm going to try to control myself because I could mm -hmm. be a talker. First mm -hmm. of all, I want to I want to reference the ceviche comment. If you haven't been to ceviche 305 in Miami, <laughs> highly, highly recommend my best friend, who was also Peruvian, was like, we got to go to this spot. I was like, what are you talking about? Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed all the food. So please go if you haven't yes. been. But um, that's a shit ton of stuff to go through in two years. Yeah. And it also, you know, usually when I ask folks, like, when did you realize it was time for a change? That kind of thing. It's usually like internal turmoil and things that you're like going through with yourself. But a lot of the times there's also external influences, right? Like mm -hmm. life is happening. Things keep happening back to back. And you don't really have like that recovery period to be able to like process, like really sit with it and then move on from it. It sounds like you got hit with one thing yeah. after another. What do you think really made that shift for you in terms of, okay, these, this is what I need to do. Like, how did you choose to say, I need a social media break. I need to go in a, into a cave and, and do X, Y, Z. Like, mm -hmm. how did you know how to do that? Cause that's the piece that sometimes is disconnected for a lot of folks, right? Like they know it's time for a change, but don't know how to do it. How did you know what steps yeah. you needed to take? So a lot of people really don't like my answer, but if you follow me on social media, you know that I'm like the most non-judgmental Christian you've ever met. And <laughs> so my answer is pretty simple, which is like, how did I know, Ayana? I knew because God, God was talking to me. Like I remember being in the shower after maybe the third surgery and I was in so much pain that, you know, here's the thing. If you are going through something medically, get more than one opinion. And I remember feeling like my doctor wasn't for me. And by the time I got mm. my second opinion, the surgeon said to me, you should have been on Valium from the beginning because of how much intense pain you were going through. And the doctor previous to me didn't give it to you. And I don't understand why. And so it got to the point, and that's another thing, right? Woman of color and the medical and oh my, oh my God, God yes. about that forever. <laughs> I was misdiagnosed through these two years. It was horrible. Um, and so I remember being in the shower and I was yelling to the top of my lungs, get it out. Like whatever is there, please just get out. And I remember just feeling this immense um, amount of God just overwhelm me and just be like, there is so much that you need to get out of your life before I get you out of this situation. Ooh. And I was like, what? Cause I'm yelling, get me out mm. of here. I'm like, yeah. get out, like, get me out. And God yeah. is like, no, 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 no. You need to prune and get out so many things 
before I get you out. Because if, even if I get if I get you out too early and mind you, like I've kicked and screamed, forgot to do so many things and he's done them, but it wasn't time, but he did it because he loves me. But I knew that if I kicked and screamed some more, he would definitely have gotten me out of there. And so it wasn't this like torturous situation. It was just that there were so many things I needed to learn and I could only learn them if I stuck through it. And plenty of times what we don't realize is that our blessings don't always come in a box with a bow on it. Sometimes our blessings are wrapped in suffering. And so what was going mm -hmm. on in that period was that the very blessings and teachings that I was trying, that God was trying to deliver to me was wrapped in suffering. And I just didn't know Ooh. it, but that's how I knew. Yeah. I feel that. I feel that so like to my core, because sometimes when we're asking for those responses or the answers that we're looking for, doesn't come the way that we want them to. Mm -mm. And it's, and, and some people get stuck in that. Like mm -hmm. I wanted the perfect transition. Well, that that's just not going to happen, right? Life is messy. Mm -hmm. Things are going to yeah. happen. I also, you know, I, you mentioned that people don't usually like your answer. I also like to translate it to, it doesn't necessarily have to be a relationship with God. It could just be your spirituality, right? Like when you're mm -hmm. in tunes, particularly in our communities, mm -hmm. I think we've lost a little bit of touch of feeling it in our bones. Like I have no, I don't know how else to say it, but like really mm. feeling like an overwhelming rush of, of knowing, like of inner knowing, right? Where mm. like our ancestors trying to talk to you kind of feeling. Mm. And that doesn't necessarily, like it doesn't have to be limited to a specific religious practice is what, what I'm trying to say. Like, yeah. And our you, intuition, if you will. Yeah, your gut, your gut is strong. And here's what I'll say about religion. I always say, it's not about religion. It's about relationship. Mm -hmm. So I'm not even about religion. I'm about relationship, the relationship you have with your spirituality and who you believe in. And obviously yeah. I believe in God and the relationship you have with yourself. It's going to dictate mm -hmm. everything else. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love that. I want to, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about my toxic boss. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. I do. I'm going to transition you in there and first want to know how the things that were happening in your personal life impacted, like how work impacted that, like mm -hmm. how was it showing up for you, right? Like I know for me, early on in my career, I tried to separate things and like it didn't bleed over and like made very strict lines about things. And then other times like shit kind of just bled into each other and like everything mm -hmm. that was going on personally was bleeding into, into work. How... How'd that look for you? I think, you know, I entered my professionalism uh, pretty young. I was 21 when I got my first professional job. I, I guess I do consider that young. And I was pursuing my master's at the time. And I would say that during that period, it didn't really mesh much because I didn't really have one. Like I, I, did, I didn't have a boo or maybe I did. I can't remember. I didn't have kids. Like I didn't really have <laughs> not noteworthy anyway yeah not worthy right yeah like I didn't have crazy responsibilities uh when I got a job when I finally got married at 25 that I think was the start of it mm -hmm. where like you're trying to have your personal life not blend with your professional life I would say I was pretty good at boundaries in the workplace mm -hmm. because I was already um, I had already had two toxic bosses. I mm. have only ever had toxic bosses up till yeah. now. Yeah. So I had known how to navigate those relationships. And I knew 
I knew how they played the game. And so by mm-hmm. the time I entered that professional job, when I had much more of a life, um, I knew how to play the game right. And I, I had really good boundaries in the workplace. I, I was, I, I was very private, but with purpose, like, you know, if people would ask me, how was your weekend? I wouldn't say like, oh, I went Apple, but like, I wouldn't go into, I'm like, oh my God, I had such a fun weekend. I would give enough to make you not mm. ask me a follow-up question. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm, I'm not trying to get into it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned knowing how to navigate those relationships and, you know, you know, knowing that how they played the game and things like that. I want to, I want to talk about the specific skill and you and I have talked about this a little bit, but Mm -hmm. specifically emotional intelligence for the people who don't know who are listening, what is emotional intelligence? So for me, I may not be break, I may not be able to break it down the way Google breaks it down, (laughs) but for me, emotional intelligence is having the skill set and capacity to understand people's heart soul and mind moves like just the way that they think it's Mm. more about like their it's it's not their facial expressions it's literally watching and diagnosing people and that for me came easy because of social work so I was able to pick up on people's behavior and I learned and the thing about emotional intelligence is it's it can be borderline manipulative if you're really (laughs) good at it I mean she's Ayana's laughing because it's true because like (laughs) You can literally, it, you are a little bit on the cusp of it because you're like, oh, I could, if I said this one thing to her, yeah. I could switch her around and make her change her mind. But you don't because you have, you know, you have grace and honor for yourself. You're just like, <laughs> back up. You're like, oh, no, you have ethics. You're ethical, right? Yeah. And so I think emotional intelligence is really having the skill and mindset to know how to navigate people, um, mm-hmm. not just in the workplace, but your relationships. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it takes a lot less of talking and more of listening and watching like uncomfortable amounts of it, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could see your face. You said uncomfortable amounts. Yeah. I mean, imagine how uncomfortable it is to listen to your toxic boss and try to oh. assess certain things like how did you even reach that? How did, yeah. How did you get there? How did you learn the emotional intelligence? Because I don't I don't know about you, but I can sometimes be impatient uh, when when uh, interacted with toxic <laughs> energy. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how did you how did you refine that skill to be able to sit there, read them, understand them, and navigate that relationship with that toxic boss? So I really believe that God does everything for a reason, and I actually did not know I had this skill. Mm-hmm. So I would always show up to the workplace and be very kind to everybody. And even if you were a jerk to me, I would still be kind to you. And I think that I was very much, um, people really trusted me in the workplace so much so that my bosses really always disliked me because their bosses would ask me out to lunch. Now, (laughs) I don't know why. I mean, like people would really, um, for me, there are certain things that I remember. So if somebody would say, oh, my son is having a baby in nine months, I, in nine months, I would remember like, oh my God, it, did your son, was your son born? Like, how did you remember that? I'm like, I don't, yeah. I don't know. So little things like that, like people would be like, wow, like she's so nice. I can connect with her. Let's go out for lunch. Then the other side of it is that the way I would carry myself in meetings would be of one where even though I had something very mean to say, and everybody knew that whomever <laughs> I was talking about was a jerk, yeah. they respected the fact that I never blew up their spot. So they were like, wow, this person's so loyal. Like she, 
she's in some way telling us there's an issue in her department without telling us that the issue is her boss when everybody knows that yeah. Sam, that Sam is the issue. I just, yeah. that. But like, like she has this way about just saying it, which makes me think like if she was in my position or if we were, you know, in different positions and I was the toxic boss, she would never call me out. So it was mm -hmm. this like sense of trust that people are like, I can trust her. And so that is how I would navigate the workplace. Well, one day I get to like my mailbox and I get a card and my boss's boss <laughs> sends me a card and I forget what she said. She was like, Karina, blah, 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 blah. You're one of the, you're, you have one of the highest EQs I've ever seen, hmm. you know, XOXO Lee. And I was like, literally I ran to Google. I was like, EQ, what the heck is that? <laughs> Yeah, that was my first time. <laughs> and it was emotional intelligence. I'm like, that's what this is just called. I'm just trying to play the game. Like right. for me, emotional intelligence is playing a game of survival. Mm -hmm. I never thought that it was this thing. And then I was like, what else can I call that in my mind is sort of like trying to milk the cow, trying to like navigate it? What else can I coin and call it emotional intelligence? Right. Cause mm -hmm. like that's really what it is. And it was this part of me that I never even knew I had. So for me, that was really the turning point, something that I never knew I had that somebody told me I had. Yeah, absolutely. Can you can you walk us through um, what that looks like? Like, tell me about your toxic bosses and some of the situations yeah. that have come up where you've had to use it. Because, you know, I know for a lot of, let me speak for myself, a lot of us millennials who are also first gen are navigating some really tough workplaces and it can be difficult when our parents didn't necessarily teach us these yeah. things, right? Like they taught us how to survive, but not necessarily how to like read the room. And mm -hmm. this is how you deal with a difficult person. I was told my, to put my head down. Well, I'm just not that person, right? Like I want to mm -hmm. tactfully deal with this in a way that's good for me and also to I can play the game, right? Like what are, yeah. how, tell me, tell me the toxic bosses. This is where we get into it. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So one of the frameworks that I actually use with my clients is when you're having a lot of difficult conversations with difficult people. And mm -hmm. I, this is before I called it that, but this is what it was, is that my toxic bosses were very wildly insecure and many of them actually had borderline personality disorder. And that's just me diagnosing them. And this is off, obviously, it's not off the record because it's going to be on the record, but um, <laughs> plenty of them, I would say um, their workaholism really mm. made them sick mentally. And so without feeling so bad for them, I really just started to understand what mental illness looked like. I mean, and I know mm. it sounds very extreme, but a lot of the toxicity that we see in the people that we work with is toxic because it's actually unhealthy. And so when you start Ooh. to look at individuals that way, yes, you develop a little bit of empathy. And I know our listeners must be thinking like, yeah, well, they don't give them the right to treat them that way. You're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. But before we go to adv advocating for ourselves, there is a stage of understanding, clarity, and discernment that you must develop when you're trying mm. to grow your emotional intelligence. Emotional right. intelligence is awareness, is clarity. You can't have it if you're always stuck in the space of they can't treat me that way. Well, I need to speak up for myself. You got to understand what's happening. And so for me, my toxic bosses, I had to really start to look at them and be like, what's wrong? Why? Mm. Why? Why is she like that? 
oh, she has control issues or, oh, she has anxiety or, oh, she may be depressed or, oh. And the common thread between all of my toxic bosses is that their workaholism really turned them, really, mm. really turned them in, in a severe way. And it gave me a, an insight of like, dang, I thought being a workaholic because of my immigrant parents, I thought that was a good thing. My dad till today is a workaholic. I thought that that was amazing to have. That was part of the algorithm of the American dream, ain't it? So yeah. for me, I thought that was it. And as I watched them become unraveled, I was like, nah, that ain't it. And so mm. that's when I started to be like, okay, I got to figure out how I can talk to them, how I can get the result that I need. And every single time I went into a conversation with them, I needed to understand that, and this is what I teach my clients, that there's two ways to go into a conversation. Either you're going into it to change their mind or you're going into it to let the record show. When mm. you go into a conversation from the from the point of letting the record show, there is a release that happens that then yields confidence for you to continue having conversations, difficult ones in your marriage or your toxic bosses or whatever. Mm -hmm. When you're entering difficult conversations to change the person's mind and heart on their beliefs, it is rough. Mm -hmm. It is rough. And I'm not saying that it's impossible. I'm just saying that most of your conversations in the workplace can be from the point of letting the record show and you yeah. move on. Yeah. Ooh. I, damn, not, <laughs> I, it, like so many light bulbs are going off because I've, I've faced this challenge as well where I know at this point in my life that I want to prioritize my well-being and rest, but then it conflicts with the way that managers or folks that are you know, in our direct line, approach their work. And it's almost like this tension, right? Like, why aren't you following what I'm doing? You should be working however many hours and you should do whatever it takes um, because they're now I'm seeing stuck in that cycle. Um, and it's, the, it's all they know. Mm -hmm. mm. I'm just sitting on it for a second and I'm like, dang, no, but I could have me, avoided a lot of heartache. <laughs> but let me offer you this and let me offer this for anybody that's going through that. How much of your energy is being consumed by trying to change their mind rather than mm -hmm. just saying like, let the record show that I value rest. And yeah. so I cannot commit to anything more. And that the person's going to be stunned. Like, why aren't we having a back and forth? Oh, we're not having a back and forth because I'm just letting the record show. Mm. I'm, I'm really not trying to change your mind. I'm just trying to let the record show that I value mental health. And so because of that, I will not be attending the Friday eight o'clock meeting. Let the, mm. let the record show oh but your contract sure we can pull in hr if you'd like i'm just letting the record show yeah oh that's so great it's even it's even as simple as giving us that language and like mm -hmm. it's okay to let the record show because i think that's part of it too like for a long time i was i was not confident in being able to say great that you scheduled that five o'clock meeting but i'm not going to be able to attend right like i've got to do school pickup mm -hmm. i could say that all day now like Mm -hmm. You, it's on my calendar. You see it. I know you see it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, had you, had you told me a couple years ago that I could say that I would have been like, no, but I'm scared for my job. And what if they say this? Mm -hmm. and da, 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 da. Um, so even having the language, I think helps number one, reduce my anxiety on saying it, but also just sticking to the facts. Yeah. Right. And, and setting a boundary in a very like clear 
and direct way that I think is hard for a lot of folks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, when this episode airs, it's going to be BIPOC, BIPOC Mental Health Awareness Month. Mm-hmm. I can't get my words <laughs> out today. Um, what are some of the common themes or challenges you see come up for uh, people of color and, and just, you know, in general, first gen and, and marginalized communities in your work? Because I know you've between the social work and coaching and all the things that you've got going on, like, I know you see some trends. <laughs> yeah. The biggest trend I see is you're trying to be everybody for everybody. And, and you don't just do it at home. You do it at your job. You do it everywhere you go. Hmm. What happens is it starts out with caring. And I believe yeah. you. I believe that you care. I believe that you love so hard. I believe that. However, that careness at some point turned into control. You see, the reason why we want to help everybody is because we've become the ultimate fixer thinking that we're the savior and we're not. Mm. And when you continuously try to fix and help everybody, you rob them of practicing the habit to fix their own stuff. You're robbing Mm. them of creating a character that you've already become an expert in. So when you think about it that way, that you're robbing people of the opportunity to grow and stretch themselves, then you can finally take a step back, but you can't be everybody's everybody. You just can't. And that's the biggest problem I see in our community. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, I am guilty. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to start off there. I'm guilty. I've done that. Um, I think the biggest realization in that for me specifically is that I was enabling this specific behavior to continue. Mm. Like in my... In my eyes, at first, I was like, but I'm helping. I'm letting them. I'm like, I'm doing this thing and things are better. But really, the other person or whatever organization or whatever, insert all the things that I do, um, leaned on me as a crutch, Mm. right? Like, they were never going to learn how to go on without the crutch if Mm. I continue to serve as that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that made it a lot easier for me to like, okay, I could step back and allow that person to take ownership Mm. and to have some accountability, right? Like you can walk without it, but you're going to have to do it without me um, kind of thing. So, but that's hard. And Mm -hmm. I still catch myself. They're like, oh, I I really want to say yes to that thing, but I know I shouldn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So true. (laughs) Um, And I think, you know, especially for, at least for in Dominican culture, it's like your family is everything, Mm -hmm. right? And if you ask somebody or somebody asks you to do something in family, it's like, well, yeah, we do it because you're family. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the assumption, right? And if we say no, mm-hmm. okay, you're not dependable or, mm-hmm. you know, you always isolated, da 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 So it's almost like they use like our cultural norms that are toxic, by the way, against <laughs> us into getting the, us to do things. Like, how mm-hmm. do you even, how do you have that conversation? How do you say no to someone who we love and care about and try to, and try to draw some kind of boundary there. Yeah, I think the biggest example I can give for most children of immigrants is when you're getting ready to go away for college. Hmm. There are so many parents that don't want us to go away. And I remember having that conversation. I remember almost going to the army instead (laughs) of, serious, instead of going away from college, my mom would have rather I enlisted (laughs) instead of going away for college. I said, mom, you're crazy. And it's like setting that boundary with family specifically when we're getting ready to make decisions that are outside of their comfort zone is, again, having that EQ and understanding that they just don't know. Yeah. It's okay. They Mm -hmm. just don't know. You can't change their mind. 
And you just got to let the record show that this is what you're about to do. Like, yeah. listen, you don't even have to apologize. You could just say, mom or dad, like, I totally feel you that you don't want me to buy this house. You want me to rent forever. I understand. Totally get it. You don't want me to invest in the stock market. You don't want me to do this. You don't want me to quit my job, start my business. <laughs> you don't want me to, <laughs> you, know, you know, you don't want me to wait to have kids. Like there's so many things that you don't want me to do. I thousand percent hear you. But if I replicate the exact same thing that you did, no offense, you got as far, I'm going to get the same result. So yeah. I have to take risks at some point. And this is just me taking a risk. Mm. And it's not meant to diminish the work or the parenting that you've done. It's actually meant to enhance it. Yeah, that that's generational impact. You mm -hmm. did your duty. Now let me do mine. Yeah. Oh, couple things. I laugh because I was the one who went off to the army in my college, my <gasps> freshman year of college. You did. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Um. That was that was my, quite the conversation. <laughs> my mom would have loved you. <laughs> well, my parents were not thrilled. <laughs> I love um, but the other thing that I hear when you give that example is showing some empathy, right? That they're scared, right? That it's then then not knowing, but also for the fear, right? Mm -hmm. That there's a certain level of hesitation because they don't want anything to happen to you or mm -hmm. they've done so much to get you this far and they don't want anything to to mess that up and also like giving them their props in a way like you actually did what you could with what you had yeah. and I'm grateful for that and I appreciate you but now I'm doing it this way yeah right like approaching it that way feels so much more empathetic and supportive and all of the things, right? Instead of being like, forget you, mom and dad, I'm gonna do whatever the hell I want. You yeah. were awful, right? Like that's yeah. a completely different tone in the conversation um, that holds space for both. Love you what you did, but also I'm going to be my own person and do what I want now. Yeah. And I think I love my parents, but I needed to step into a different identity with my parents at a certain age. I remember mm. You know, usually the conversations were like, hey, mom, what do you think about me doing this? Would you be proud of me? Is this something that you would like? And then it totally switched up to, hey, mom, just want to let you know I'm doing this thing. And she's like, what? Mm. Why are you doing that? And I was like, I know, I know it's crazy, but like, I'm going to go for it anyways. And I just just wanted you to know, no, you can't do it. You know, the thing is, I'm, I got to <laughs> like, it was just <laughs> such a different conversation and mm. it, it shifted a lot. It shifted yeah. a lot, but like, you have to show up that way first because yeah. they're not going to let you because you'll always be their baby. Mm-hmm. I had to go through that transition too. And it was hard. It was hard because I think I, I had to learn how to be confident of being my own person instead of always relying on what my parents wanted me to be or, yeah. you know, who, who they want me to turn into. Yeah. And, Sometimes those images don't align. <laughs> yeah. And you know what happens? And since we're talking about the workplace, sometimes yeah. I'm not saying that parents are toxic. I'm just saying that sometimes the parenting transitions to your boss. And mm. so if you don't settle with the way that you show up with your parents, your bosses will then become your new parents that you don't want to let down. The workplace will then become the new place that you don't want to let down. The job will become the place that you're loyal to for 10, 20 years. They are your new parents. And so you mm. need to really work on that identity with parents first because they're the first people you've met um, yeah. before the before you think you're going to grow in the workplace. It really is. Mm. Oof. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm I'm just like cringing because I'm like, shit, there's so much connection between our upbringing, our like our core nuclear family and the things that we carry into the workplace as people, right? Like I think oftentimes people try to separate completely disregard that they're related and wonder why people are losing their shit in the workplace. I'm like, well, people got lives and things that they're holding on to and they show up with that whether they like it or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how do, how do we work on <laughs> settling that with our parents or whomever it is or whatever it is that we're holding on to, um, you know, to let that baggage go and really develop that EQ? How do we how do we get there? I think the first step is really asking yourself, what do you want? You know, like, mm. I think you can see what everybody else has, which is you can be stuck in the comparison trap. But I think yeah, the first step is many of us will be forced into asking ourselves what they want for their lives, which is was my case. And other people can do it without all those surgeries and just <laughs> and just ask themselves, like, what do you want for your life? You know, it's interesting. So um, I recently sent a private podcast to all of my private clients and to one of them. I compared, uh, I called it um, why misalignment happens in deeply rooted marriages. And so I'm going to connect mm. this in a way, which is that there are two different types of marriages that I talk about, the ride or die marriages, and then the minor league marriages. So the minor league marriages are the ones that buy the house, get married, have the kids and just live their lives. And you can have it. It's very beautiful. But the ride or die marriages are the ones that know that their purpose to be here is much bigger, has a much bigger impact. They want to serve. They want to build. They want things to be harmonious. Like they just feel it. Mm. And what I reminded my client in that time is like, it's so much harder to do that, but it feels so much better. And yeah. so for you and your personal life, you could totally be a minor league and just do the job, be in a nine to five, marry the person and go on with your life. It's still a beautiful life. Or you could have the ride or die life, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it could just be deeply rooted in whatever it is you're feeling called to do. And so the first step is asking yourself, what do you want? What yeah. do you want? And mm. there's no wrong answer. It's just, what do you want? Yeah. And then align to that. And then align right. to that. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Karina, I feel like we we could talk for days. Yes, forever. <laughs> so we may need a part two to this. But mm -hmm. in the meantime, can you tell folks where to find you, where to follow you, listen to your podcast, all the things if they want to hear more from you? Yes. Listen, if you're at a space in your life where you're ready to overcome that conflict that's just been beating at you for a long time, go to the link in my bio and book a sales call. I want to help you overcome the number one conflict in your relationships. I want you to be able to show up to the barbecues that your friends invite you to and not feel judged and not feel like you're walking on eggshells. I want to help you show up to your bedroom ready to have sex with your partner. Like I hey. want to help you like be <laughs> like be you, right? Yeah. And just strip off anything that is, you know, holding you back and keeping you stagnant. So you can go there. I primarily live on Instagram or TikTok at Karina F. Daves. My podcast is called One Day at a Time, where I help women overcome their number one relationship issue. 
You can also subscribe to my newsletter called Release Your Relationship, where I share weekly gems on how to just let go of your relationship, surrender them. You don't have to control them. People are people and they have their own paths and y'all can still live together and have two different lives. <laughs> I can mm. talk about that for a while. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> that's the yeah. subject for part two. <laughs> yes, right? Um, yes. But yeah, that's where I primarily live. And please, the only thing I will say is do not get involved in the TikTok comments. TikTok is wild, okay? Hell yeah. And do not get involved in the TikTok comments when you get there. But anyways, that's what I do. And that's who I am. I appreciate you, Karina. Thank you so yes. much for showing up, for being vulnerable, for dropping gems, giving us the tools. I really, really appreciate you and everything that you're doing for our community and just, just being you. So thank you yes. so much. Thank you. All right, y'all. That's been another episode of Sasso y Corazon. We will be going on a break, a hiatus after this. So stay tuned. Uh, like, follow, subscribe, all of the things. Um, you know where to follow us and we'll see you next season. See you on the next one.